Well, this is our last time to consider the outline of Deuteronomy. <laughs> this is the last book in what section of the Bible? The law. The law. Otherwise known as? The Pentateuch. Yeah. The uh, five books of Moses are called the Pentateuch. The book of Deuteronomy is, uh, what does the word Deuteronomy mean? Second law. And it really is quite a, 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 um, a review of the law, although there are some new, new features in it. There's certainly some laws that you don't find in, in the previous books. But for the most part, it's a review. And it, it consists of several addresses of Moses' speeches that he made to the people. Uh, really telling them what was on his heart. He, he was, um, what, what was he worried about? That they're going to fail to keep the commandments. Yeah, that they're going to fall away. That's what he's worried about. Because he's not going to be around after this. This is his last chance to talk to these people. How old is he? 120. He's 120 years old. Yeah. And that's, this is it for him. Um, what, what sin does, does he spend the most time on when he's warning them? Idolatry. idolatry, that's right. And where are they going to pick up idolatry? Yeah, they're going in to, to wipe out these people who have been so... The, the, the people of Canaan were so sinful that God had planned for centuries to, to destroy them in this way. And and that their, uh, I mean, that their worship must have been very abominable if God picked that one place out of all the places in the world. Because we know, we know idolatry was all over the place, but it was just especially horrible in in Canaan. Yeah. And, and I keep that in mind too. When he, they conquered the cities, they're directed to kill everybody, men, women. That's right. Every yeah. Um, well. Um, I don't know about the animals. Um, yeah, with Jericho, of course, it did include the animals. But yeah, the men, women, and children. Not, no one was to be left alive. It was a. There was a, a kind of a. There was a word used in, in the Old Testament that I, that I think is sometimes translated the ban. Um, it's also translated devoted to destruction. And all these cities were devoted to destruction by God. And that. Um, so, we've come down to the Song of Moses in chapter 32. Um, God was the one who directed Moses to, um, to write this song and tell it to the people because. Uh, <coughs> God knew the people would, would forget in later years. They would forget the law. But it's a funny thing. Um, it seems like in any culture, the, song get, the songs get remembered longer than anything else. Um, it, in, um, in our own culture, there are some children's songs that go back hundreds of years. Um, you, you, some of you may be familiar with the fact that the song "Ring Around the Rosie" is that was actually a reminder of the plague uh, in Europe. 
Um, the pocket full of posies was something they used to try to ward away the, the disease and the ashes and the falling down. All of that was a, were, were children remembering the Black Plague in Europe, which took place hundreds of years earlier. Um, and here we are today knowing, we know, most people today know practically nothing about the Black Plague, but most everybody knows Ring Around the Rosie. <laughs> and so God used this song so that when the people forgot the law, as they, very, as they certainly did later, they still remember the song. And, and, and that might help call them back. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a great song. It, it, it's a song about God. And so, in the early part of it, uh, into verse 3, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock, His work is perfect, and so on. Um, verse 7, remember the days of old, consider the years of all generations, ask your fathers, He will inform you, and so on. Uh, chapter 32. And um, then he recounts how God had been so kind to the people of Israel. In verse 10, He found him in a desert land, and, and He encircled him, He cared for him, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, He took care of them. Um, and he just keeps going on and on like this about how wonderful. And then verse 15, but Jeshurun. Now Jeshurun is a poetic name for Israel. Um, and so he's, to, he's talking about the people of God here. But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You were grown fat, thick and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scorned the rock of his salvation. Now, we saw earlier in, in Moses' speeches that he was concerned when they got in the land and, and things were going well, they would forget God. And that's what this song is warning about. The time when they're going to get fat and, and forget God. And the history of, of God's people in the Old Testament as well as the history in, ever since the New Testament time has shown that when times are good, that's when people forget God. And that's what this is warning about. Um, so then he talks about the, the bad things that are going to come on to these people because of their leaving God. And um, And then it's going to talk about the time when they will come back to him. Let me see. I'm looking for that verse. Maybe I'm jumping into the next <coughs> next speech. Um, yeah, verse 36. For the Lord will vindicate his people and will have compassion on his servants when he sees that their strength is gone and there is none remaining bond or free. And he will say, Where are their gods, the rock in which they sought refuge? Um, so it, it's it's a it's kind of an odd song because the first part of the song is praising God for everything wonderful He's done. The second half of the song is telling about how the people will forget God. <laughs> what a contrast after all that He's done! But it's a warning, is is what it is. Then in chapter 33, we have Moses' last words to the people. 
It's called the blessing of Moses. And I don't think there's anything bad in this in this whole blessing. It, um, whereas the song had warnings and curses, th- this last blessing is, is just simply that. It's just a blessing on the people. This is chapter 33. Yeah, why does Moses go through the talk about giving a blessing? This is kind of a repeat of the blessing that Jacob gave to his sons when he was on his deathbed. It's the same style of thing. It's, he's not saying the same things, but it's the same style. Um, and it's really a very similar situation. I mean, when Jacob was, was on his deathbed, um, he knew he was going to be leaving these people to carry on after him. And he cared about them, and he, and he, and he was predicting what was going to happen in the future. And Moses is the same way. He's not on a bed here, but he's going to die within you know, a very short time. And so he cares what's going to happen to the people. And, and so he goes through the different tribes and predicts, just like Jacob had, what's going to happen to them. Yeah, I, I don't think any of them were bad. Uh, with Jacob, he did have a, a few bad things to say. But I don't think any of these are bad. They're not all the same, but they all seem to be good things he's predicting for them other thoughts and then finally chapter 34 we have the death and the burial of Moses Um, we've had these poignant um, times prior to this where Moses discussed the fact that he wasn't going to get to go over into the land and I mean he just feels terrible about this and, and um, God doesn't tell him why any further than the fact that because you, you rebelled against me at, at the rock. Um, Moses doesn't find out until later that he, get, he does get to go in the land. <laughs> when, when the prophet, like unto Moses, comes and Moses appears on the mount with him, yeah. What's the difference between blasphemy and rebel and the meaning? How do you relate that to the normal sins that we committed? Well, tell me what blasphemy is. Against God. What what against God? Right. Yeah, it's it's very harsh language against God. Um, that that's blasphemy when when someone would 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 curse God. Um, um, that's not the same as rebellion. Although, obviously, no one's going to blaspheme God who hasn't first rebelled against God. But the the, the rebellion of Moses was simply that God had. Had instructed him how to, how to do it, and he had not honored God at the rock. Yeah, we don't know a lot of times, but God forgives us. Why didn't He forgive Moses? Oh, He did. He did forgive him. I mean, He forgave him, but He couldn't go in the promised land. It's strange. Well, but don't you sometimes get forgiven, and yet you have to bear the consequences of what you've done? And why? Why do we have to bear those consequences? Well, there's 
There, there's two reasons that I can think of. There may be more, but there's at least two reasons. One is for the glory of God. And that's the major reason. You remember when David sinned with, with Bathsheba and then he said he was sorry and, and, and Nathan said, well, you're forgiven. But because you've given occasion for the enemies of God to blaspheme, here's what's going to happen. So the consequences were because of the glory of God. Because David dishonored God, God had to justify His name by punishing David. The, the other reason that I can think of that why we have to bear the consequences is for our own good. Um, because we would be way too prone to go back and do it again if it wasn't for the fact that we see what's happened in our own lives. Um, and in Moses' case, there's even more than that because um, Moses was a foreshadowing of, of Jesus. But it was very important that everyone from then on see that there was only one Jesus. Um, all, all these people that foreshadowed Jesus were human beings that made errors. And, and so we don't want to mistake Jesus for, or we don't want to mistake Moses for Jesus. And, and this, and God very clearly separated the two by showing that Moses was sinful and Jesus was not. And, and so that was, yeah, we, we read about it and we feel, well, this is just sad, it's just terrible. But God was able to use all these things, even the sins of, of His creatures, for His glory. And, and Moses accepted it. I mean, it didn't mean that he felt good about it, but he accepted it. And it's very important when God punishes us that we accept it. I don't mean we're going to enjoy it, but we, we do have to accept it. So he did. And he went up to the top of Mount Pisgah just as God told him to. And God showed him all the land. He could see a long way from the top of that mountain. Um, and then, who buried him? God did, yeah. The only person I know of that that's stated about. Um, and nobody knows where he was buried. And verse 10, since that time no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Now I don't know when that was written. Obviously that, that could not have been written by Moses. Um, nobody knows who wrote that, this last section or how long it was. But I can tell you, no matter how much later it was written, the statement would still be true. <laughs> it's not until when that this statement becomes false. Jesus, that's right. When Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like unto me, I think he was talking about the prophets in general in the Old Testament. Nevertheless, that statement really was not completely fulfilled until Jesus. None of those other prophets were nearly as much like Moses as what Jesus was. And this explains why. Whom the Lord knew face to face. Jesus is the one that Moses was looking forward to. He was foreshadowing. And that's really kind of, when you read that verse, it's a sad verse. I mean, I, I, And I think the person who was writing it felt sad about that. They had lost a really great man. 
and what they had since then didn't match. Uh, and, and now, and let me also emphasize something else, and which I, I don't know that everyone understands this when they study the Old Testament. With the end of the book of Deuteronomy, the law was complete. And nothing was added to it after that. Um, those later prophets, they were prophets. And, and as Moses said, you must give heed to them. But they did not add to the law. Rather, they were pointing people back to the law when, when they had rebelled against it. And although there are times later when we can learn some things about the law from what they wrote, um, we have to understand that the law was given once for them. And after that, it was just a matter of reminding people what they should have already known. All right, any questions on the book of Deuteronomy then? Yeah, Tracy. As we get into Joshua and they go into the well, when they first conquer like Jericho, where did they put the tabernacle? Well, the tabernacle would have been the tabernacle would have been in the center of their camp uh, until they found a permanent place for it. It was always at the center of their camp. Now we'll see later where, where they do finally find a place for it, but initially it was always wherever wherever they camped. How long from the time that they went over to Promised Land and they were conquering land until they put it in Shiloh? In, in Shiloh? Shiloh. Um, yeah, and I, well, I'm not sure where, where the Shiloh came next. I think Shechem was one of, was may have been an earlier place where they put it. Um, the short answer is the, the scriptures don't specifically tell us, but it was several years that, it, that they spent conquering the land. So it could have been several years before they finally got, finally made a permanent place for it. But I, I don't think there's anything in the scriptures that, that specifically gives that answer. All right. Then if there's no more questions on Deuteronomy, we turn to Joshua, which is, I've got a very short outline on Joshua. It's a pretty simple, straightforward book. Um, what we'll cover this morning, the, the first, easily the first five chapters, preparation for possession of Canaan. And then the conquest takes several more chapters. We'll cover part of that today and then the rest of the, that next week. Uh, and then they divide the land up and that takes, as you can see, quite a few chapters to divide it up. Um, warning, it gets a little bit boring <laughs> when you're reading. <laughs> but but if um, if you folks have all kept up until now, this should be a piece of cake. <laughs> By the way, we're over one-fifth of the way through the Bible at this point. It seems hard to believe because there's 66 books in the Bible and five books obviously is not nearly one-fifth of that number. But in terms of actual chapters or pages read, we're over a fifth of the way through. It's a, we've done a, a lot. And then finally, there's a farewell and the death of Joshua. So now we're back into uh, stories. Um, stories are... Most people find stories more fun than speeches or laws or things like that. <laughs> Genealogies. 
<laughs> um, I don't think we do any genealogies in Joshua, but we do have some some geography where it gets a little bit dry. <laughs> All right. Um, Joshua takes over, and um, is Joshua on par with Moses? What's the difference? He doesn't speak directly to God. He has to go to the priest. That's exactly right. He, um, Moses could go right to God, but Joshua has to go through the priest. And that, that had been set up under Moses. Um, but he was certainly an exalted leader. And, and in these first few chapters, God arranges for him to get, um, get the attention of the people, so to speak, where they'll, they'll follow him. And they did follow him very faithfully all, all their lives. Um, in the first chapter, God talks to Joshua and urges him to do certain things. Does anyone remember what those things are? Be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage, yeah. This says be strong and very courageous and follow the law. And um, courage is still a trait that God wants His people to have. I don't know how often we talk about it or think about it, but... Um, it's critical that we have courage. Now the courage comes from trusting God. If God will take care of us, what, what do we have to fear? But we have to show that in our lives. When, when, we behave, when we claim we believe God, but then we behave cowardly, we're not showing that, that we believe God and it dishonors God. So Joshua, you need to have courage. Don't shrink back. Now, this takes us back to a, an event in Joshua's own life 40, almost 40 years earlier, 38 I guess to be precise. And what was that? He was one of the 12 spies. And how many of the spies lacked courage? Ten, Ten of them, yeah. Just Joshua and who else? Caleb. Caleb. They were the courageous spies. And the reason they were courageous was because they had faith in God. So he's already, I mean, obviously God wouldn't have chosen Joshua if he hadn't already shown he had that, that character. But it's still a concern. And, and, and um, so he's urged like that. And then, he, and then Joshua talks to um, the, the, uh, the, group, the um, soldiers from the, uh, of the tribes that have already got their inheritance east of the Jordan. Reuben, Gad, half of Manasseh. And then they they talked to him and they said, um, you know, we're going to follow you, whatever you say. Um, uh, Only may the Lord your God be with you as He was with Moses. So um, he's got he's got people ready to follow him. He just has to make sure that he does his part. So in chapter two, the first thing that that he does now that he's taken over is to send out what. More spies, yes. Um, how many? Two. Yeah. I don't know why I picked two, but. <laughs> um, and this is a little. <laughs> yeah, he didn't pick one from each tribe. That's for sure. And the re- the purpose was very different from the last time. In this case, I mean, there was no question they were going to take the land. But as a military commander, he just wants to know what's ahead of him. And that's always a good idea to know what's ahead of you. So he sends these spies in and, and they have quite an adventure here. 
getting into Jericho and discovering that, that they're in trouble. And they went into uh, a prostitute's uh, house named what? Rahab. Yeah, Rahab. And it just so happened they picked the one person in all of Jericho that had faith in their God. Amazing how that would work. <laughs> um, now, the truth of the matter is, the whole city believed much the same that she did. That, boy, are we in trouble. <laughs> These people have an amazingly strong God who is giving them the victory everywhere against enemies far stronger than they are. But her faith went a step further. Her faith went to the point of, of believing that their God could be her God if she believed. And she makes a great statement at the end of verse 11. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. And We have to understand that in those days, those people's gods, none of them were that powerful. Each of their gods was a local god. Um, and you, you might, if you went and attacked the enemy on their territory, you might be in trouble because their God was strong over there. But if they came and attacked you, you would win because your God was strong in your territory. And they had a lot of views like that. But I mean, basically, it, the the fundamental problem that they had is not understanding that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They did not believe in the unity of God. So they had gods, and, and and as soon as you have more than one god, then you have um, differences of ability and and power. And and she had seen your god is the god of heaven and earth, and so she asks for a favor in return for her favor, which she had done them a great favor, saving their lives. Um, what did it cost her to do that? That did, yeah, alright, which she probably already owned, so that probably didn't cost much. Well, it didn't cost her anything, but it could have cost her a lot. It was a terrible risk she was taking, wasn't it? Yeah. If if the other people of the city had, had gotten the slightest hint that she was helping the enemy, she would have been toast. Yeah, she would not have been alive when the walls fell down, that's for sure. Yeah, she she had courage, and it was because of her faith. So um, she saved their lives, sent the sent the soldiers the wrong direction, sent them sent the spies up into the hill country to hide in the caves there, and um, and then they and they promised her, you know, on certain conditions, they will save her life. And those conditions were number one, you don't tell on us. Which she wasn't likely to, since she <laughs> that would be, have been her her neck too. <clears throat> Number two, you get your whole family into your house because we're not going to save people scattered all over the city. We're going to save people in your house. And number three, what? The marker. Yeah. What was the marker? A red cord. A red cord hanging out of the window. Yes. Odd the way these little threads get connected up. The color red here for some strange reason. And so she was, she was certainly, she promised to do all that, and she did. So they got back and told Joshua 
you know, the people are terrified of us. God's given it into our hands, and that's what Joshua wanted to hear. And so the next step is to get everybody across the Jordan. Now, there was one big problem. What, what stage was the Jordan at at this point? Flood stage, yeah. Well, if it was at flood stage, how the spies get across? No, no, the spies. Yeah, the spies. Well, yeah, it's one thing for a couple of you know strong young men to get across, where they could either swim or they might have taken a boat. But to take six hundred thousand armed men plus wives and children, plus possessions, animals and all that, it's a totally different issue. And, and it, w- it would have been impossible to get the nation across the Jordan River at this point. This was at, at a place called the Fords of the Jordan. Ford means you can wade across it. But you can't wade across it when it's at flood stage. It, it, it's at the normal stage when you could wade across. And at this point, you know, the, they, were, they were blocked off. Jericho was safe. <laughs> Uh, except that, of course, God was involved here. So, in this case, it was not the rod of Moses that divided the water. What was it? Yes, it was the Ark of the Covenant. Who was carrying that? Yeah, the priests. The only priests were to carry it. Four, four priests. And as soon as the priests' feet touched the water, the water stopped. Just the river stopped flowing. And so they could just keep going down into this muddy riverbed without water, though. And how far did they carry the ark? Right to the center, yeah. And and they just stayed there while the whole nation marched across. How would you like to be standing there at the center <laughs> knowing at any moment there could be a lot of water come down? <laughs> well, of course... Everyone was doing this by faith. God was not going to forget His His people, and and certainly the ark. He wasn't going to have the ark of the covenant get carried off in the flood. And so they all got across. But before they took the priests and the ark out of the water or the, out of the riverbed, that is, what they do? <laughs> yeah, they picked up twelve stones from in the middle of the river, and where did they put them? Well, there was two places. There was two sets of twelve stones. I counted twenty-four stones. So, all right, twelve, twelve of them were put in the middle of the river. The other twelve were put where? At their camp. Yeah, they had a camp that they they named Gilgal. And what was the purpose of those stones? Yeah, and it's very interesting. We've had this issue before about the children asking things. God has set God set things up. He wanted these kids to ask, and He set it up to ask. How, what, what have we had before where the children would ask? Passover. Yeah, the Passover. They would say, you know, why are we doing this, Dad? And you know, Dad would say, Well, good that you asked, son. And he would tell the story. Um, and so now he, you know, he, here. The dad's walking along with his son. They're going to go across the fords of Jordan. And, hey, Dad, there's a big pile of stones over there. What's that for? Well, that's nice. You should ask. And he tells the story about when they crossed the, the Jordan. So God has set these things up for a reminder. And 
We have things in the church today like that that we do, and I'm sure God intends for the children to ask, why do we do that? And, and so the, this was designed to carry on these stories to the future generations. Yeah. yeah. I don't think so. No. Um, but uh, but they have found they actually have found some things that do go back to this period of time. Um, did, did Linda give you a? I don't think she did. She didn't know the link. There's a there's a couple of lectures by a, a Christian who is an archaeologist who it's on YouTube, and he tells about finding. Uh, an altar on, um, I think it was on Mount Ebal, where where, they're sp- where they made the altar. Um, and he's pretty sure it's an Israelite altar because it didn't have some of the things you would expect if it was a pagan altar. And at Shechem, I believe it was, they found the holes in the rocks where they put the tent stakes for the tabernacle. And, and they're actually spaced out at... Uh, there's a if you if you see the video you'll see the picture of the. Yeah, I have one video that you guys sent me. I haven't seen the other one. But I have to was it on YouTube? Yeah, it was sent to me. You sent the address. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, yeah. If anyone else wants that, let me know and I'll send you a link. It's it's a really good movie. Um, so, yeah, but I don't think they found the, the the stack of twelve stones. I'm sure they stayed there for a long time, but. Um, I'd be surprised whether they'd be there today, and, and and if there were twelve stones, I'd be a little bit suspicious as to whether they're the original. <laughs> There's been a lot of tourist guides <laughs> in the years since then. Um, I've seen pictures of it, but I, I can't tell you. Um, I'm thinking it may be as much as half a mile when it's flooded, but do you know, Brent? Yeah, yeah, and this was at the flood flood stage. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay, that that that's probably a good way to think about it. Like the Kanuski Stream, it may be a little bit bigger than that, but you know that somewhere in that neighborhood. I don't certainly not the size of Penobscot uh, if it's not at flood stage. Yeah. Now, in chapter 5, we have a, a strange thing to do when now they're in enemy territory waiting to attack the first target. And what do they do first? Circumcise all their males. Now, would this be every single male get, circum- get circumcised? Well, no. Yeah. No, I, well, even I expect even the strangers yeah. had to be circumcised. Yeah, well, see that it sounds like maybe everybody, but in fact, there were some who had come out of Egypt who were in this group. Who would those have been? Who would have who would have been coming out of Egypt that were still in this group? Lots more than that. Thousands more than that. Anybody who was under the age of 20 when they got originally counted. And they, were, and they counted the people after two years. So this had been, if you were under the age of 18, 
when you when they came out of Egypt. And if you were male, you would have been circumcised. All the people in the all the males in that were born in Egypt were circumcised. And you would have not died in the wilderness because you weren't numbered. It was only the ones who were numbered who died. So there would have been thousands at this time. Um, basically, if you add um, 38 years to 20, they could have been as old as 58 or as young as 38. Any, any, anyone in that range, 38 to 58, uh, they they would have been circumcised because they came out of Egypt. Um, any older than 58, they would have died because they they had been numbered. So they they circumcised all these people, and then right after that they observed a feast. And what was that feast? Passover. The Passover. The Passover was what they observed the night in which they left Egypt. <laughs> so that, that brings us full circle. Forty years later, another Passover, and this time it's in the Promised Land. And the day after the Passover, what happened? Yeah, they ate, they ate some of the produce of the land, and then the manna stopped. They were in the land. Wow, this is great. Now, one of the things I want to point out from these last few chapters that some what the behavior of these people is very, very different from what you would expect the behavior of some conquering army. At the center of everything they've been doing is worship of God. They had the tabernacle. You had the Ark of the Covenant at the center as they crossed the river. You had the taking the time to set up those stones as a memorial for what God had done for them. You have the circumcision, you have the Passover, all these things. Everything is centered around God. God's going to solve the problem of how to conquer the land. Their job is to make sure they serve God. And the same thing continues as we go into chapter 6 as they, for them to conquer Jericho because God is going to show them that He's the one giving them the land. They're not doing this on their own. Now, it's true that, that they'll have to do a little bit more work in later, on later victories, but this is the first fruits, and it's a, it's a reminder that the victory is God's. And so, for six days, what were they to do? How many times? Yeah. March around the city once. What kind of noise were they supposed to make while they were marching around? None, except, yeah, they had ram's horns. These are not the same as the silver trumpets we had in the book of Numbers. These are ram's horns. Um, and the, they had seven priests having seven ram's horns, and they would blow these horns as they went around. And yeah, I can only imagine what it would be like to be inside the city on the wall watching this and um, wondering what is going on. And then on the seventh day, what, what was different? They went around seven times. And silent until the very end. And then it was time for everybody to shout. And what happened then? Walls came down. I assume not not the wall of the entire city because Rahab's house was on the wall. So that I assume that part didn't go down. But enough of the wall went down to where each, each 
person in the army could just go straight ahead, just walk right into the city. And they were commanded to kill everybody. In this case, even the animals. And what to do with the loot. Yeah, well, two things with the loot. Burn the loot that you could burn and that what you couldn't burn was dedicated to God. Which means, you know, things like uh, silver, gold, bronze, and iron would go into the treasury of, of the tabernacle, but everything else could, would be destroyed. Except, of course, Rahab and her family. They were taken out. And then Joshua placed a curse on anybody who rises up and builds the city of Jericho. I assume he's talking about building it as a walled city um, because at least as a village it existed for it existed even after this. It was, it was still called Jericho, still there. But to put the, put the walls back, it says, with the loss of his firstborn, he shall lay its foundation. With the loss of his youngest son, he shall set up its gates. Does anyone know when that prophecy was fulfilled? It was in the time of the divided kingdom. It was in the time of King Ahab. One of the worst kings of the whole bunch. Yeah. Uh, chapter 6, verse 26. Now, chapter 7 begins with the word, but. <laughs> and that is unfortunate. After everything's going so well, we hate to see, but. But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. The sons of Israel... I mean, is that fair? The sons of Israel did this? Who did this? One man. One man, yeah. And this is something that we modern Americans have a lot of trouble understanding. Um, but it's a very biblical concept. And that is that none of us stands as an individual. And the things that we do affect the whole group. And... and now, in, in olden days, people understood that much more with families. You know, they understood, you know, what you do is a, is, is a reflection on your family name. But now we have a spiritual family, and what we do is a reflection upon our, our spiritual family name. What Achan did was a reflection upon the whole nation. Um, and even though they didn't know it, they paid a heavy price for it. And, and, I, and I fully believe that the same thing happens today. That there are things that may happen among God's people today that most people don't know about, and yet God turns against the people because of that. Um, so this, is a, this, this, although a very old story, it's still up to date for us, and we need to pay attention. Yeah, he, he stole some things. Um, and you can imagine in a, you know, a rich city like Jericho, there would have been some pretty tempting loot. And what he saw was tempting. It, 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 uh, there was a piece of fabric. Fabric in those days was very expensive. And this was imported from, from Babylon. It says from Shinar, which would have made it even more expensive. 200 shekels of silver, which by my calculations today, on today's market would be worth about $2,000. A bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, and at today's prices, that would be about $30,000 worth. Um, not insignificant. <laughs> Again, I, there's no way to, for me to know how much it was worth in, their, in terms of their buying power. But 
It was more money than he'd ever seen before. I can pretty much guarantee you. And he says, I coveted them. I took them. And nobody knew except, of course, God. And how did the Israelites discover they had a problem? They lost the battle of Ai. They lost the battle of Ai, yeah. Which Ai was a little tiny town. I mean, they shouldn't have lost that. And 36 of their people got killed. Only one guy did the sin, but now already 36 people have died because of that one sin. Because God's not with them anymore. And, and Joshua and the elders were just terrified. Because this was the first time they had actually done a battle on their, on their own, so to speak. I don't mean that he, he was leaving God out. But with Jericho, God did the whole thing. And now God's telling them to do it. And, and they run away. And, and Joshua was just, just terrible. Because once the news gets out that, that these people are not invincible... They're going to be toast. I mean, everybody, everybody in the land will just gather together, and you know, let's wipe them out. They're not, they're not as invincible as we thought. Whoa, it's dangerous. And but God says, you know, let me see how did God put it. Rise up! Why is it that you fall on your face? <laughs> Israel has sins. They have also transgressed my covenant, which I have commanded them. They have even taken some of the things under the ban and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have also put them among their own things. To take something that's holy to God and put it with your own things is, is a terrible uh, crime against God. So how did they find out who did it? Yeah, they started... They kind of worked down a, um, sort of a hierarchy. They started with the tribes. You've got 12 tribes. And by lot, which tribe was taken? Judah. Judah. Everyone else would be, it's not, not my tribe. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's one guy that knows whose tribe it is. <laughs> what do you think he's thinking this whole time? <laughs> but he never did come forward. I mean, I, my guess is that when they lost to Achan, I, I mean, when they lost to Ai, Achan knew it was his fault. But he just kept quiet. Somebody else would send. <laughs> yeah, surely I'm not the only one. <laughs> he was the only one. <clears throat> so they, then they they did to with the, they started with the the uh, tribe and then they went to a a, a sub tribe a, a clan and then down to a smaller sub tribe finally to get down families and then finally person by person and then God and then Joshua says to Achan when he's taken my son I implore you give glory to the Lord the God of Israel. Give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And that's when he finally confessed. And so they did to him what was supposed to be done to Jericho. Jericho was under the ban. Achan had taken some of the things under the ban and put it with his things. So now he's under the ban. And he gets stoned by the people, and then they burn his body. Raise up a big heap of stones and says, which stands to this day. I don't know what day that was because we don't know who wrote the book of Joshua, but it was still there when the writer wrote. And then God was appeased, and next week we'll look at how they went back and conquered the, the city that they hadn't been able to take the first time. Appreciate everyone's help this morning. <coughs> Thank <laughs> you.